The Bill Gibb Line is sponsored by Finney's the Jeweler. An independent family-owned business established in 1957, Finney's continues to serve Aberdeen from its George Street location. The Bill Gibb Line, a spoken word podcast celebrating the life and work of fashion designer Bill Gibb. Written and performed by Shane Strachan. Episode 3, The End of the Line. I've always had too adventurous a spirit to stay in one corner of Scotland forever. I love the constant excitement of life in London. It's the germs you breathe in that keep you going down here. But one has to face facts in the big city. I have found quite a lot of hard-necked people about. Almost cut-throat at times. My Scottish Puritan upbringing sometimes rebels at the brittle life, where hugs take the place of handshakes and everybody calls everybody Darling, at times I lapse into all kinds of anxieties and I ask myself, my God, what am I doing? When I go up north, I drop into bed and sleep for days from all that clean air. It really is nice to come back to Fraserburgh and lose myself for a bit. I thoroughly enjoy coming back to spend a few days down in the farm. I appreciate it more now, and it's always very relaxing being with the family. What I love about the North is that they have a terrific wry sense of humour which deflates the pompous better than anything I know. It's where I go I want a really good belly laugh. The countryside at home has been an influence on my work, of course. The colours, for instance. There was a forest near my Auntie Evie's. It was like the enchanted forest. It was like floating through Bambi. We would wander through shafts of light and watch roebucks and roe deer, spent hours looking at tadpoles and rabbits and birds. It was a trip every time you saw them. The collection I made my name on in 1970 reflected very strongly the Scottish influence on me. I had been going to the tartan mills most of my childhood and I promised myself that, if I had the opportunity, I'd use tartans, the colours, the very earthy colours. In that sense, Scotland did influence me. Of course, I love the Northeast, but I cannot see myself ever going back to live there. The Cowdery Hall, Aberdeen, 21st of October, 1977. This season, Gibb is serving scotch on the frocks, with sensual fur bodices and soft lacy shirts, that give Tartan the sort of PM panache Bonnie Prince Charlie would fail to match. Billy bows to royalty by embroidering thistles and roses on almost everything, from velvets that spice up subdued Tartan skirts to worsted panels and fabulous fox coats. Like bagpipes, you need to know how to play on play to make it appealing, but Gibb has a magical way. Tiny check tweeds are softened off at the neck and knees with a beer froth of broderie on clay, then cosily wrapped in fan pleated shawls and topped with dashing pheasant feathers. The Stuarts may have been useless at ruling, but those tartan shawls can make Jacobites of us all. A beacon for British fashion, Gibb was greeted with aching hand claps and echoing whoops for this bold return to his native roots. Michael Roberts writing for the Sunday Times, 1977. 
With the fervor of a Scottish Frankenstein, Bill Gibb cobbled together Bonnie Prince Charlie's lace jabot and velvet doublet with Rob Roy's kilt and tartan throwover. He then topped it off with Harry Lauder's tam o' shanter and Flora MacDonald's shawl and some sort of Macbeth witchery hung it all about with bits of dead animal. The whole thing then staggered down the catwalk to the lament of a Scottish piper. And lo, the Loch Ness Monster. The Royal Albert Hall, 18th of November, 1977. This ellipse was lit with electric for the Shah of Persia. Its walls have rung with the shrieks of Wagner's prima donnas. When the suffragettes met, they occupied every seat, and Olivier got his act together over in the West Theatre. Now this, my retrospective, 7,000 in the audience. Let the show begin, let them see that these are not dresses, but time broken and reassembled into timelessness. These are not models, they are hippies dancing in marbled smocks, 1930s movie stars gliding in orange batwing middies, villainesses strutting in cream dresses trimmed with salamander skin, empresses slinking in kimonos made of leather, draped in raccoon tails, flowers and feathers, all of them all at once, a patchwork of other worlds buckled buttons stitched and sewn together. Twiggy sings a country song in a fringed leather frock. Hannah Gordon is a Highland girl in a frilly tartan smock. Cleo Lane is Cleopatra in a gilded peacock top. But when Wayne Sleep leaps across the stage, invaded by Greek gods, wrapped in Bill Gibb bed linen, I unravel at the seams like a burst stitch. My palms sweat, I feel sick. I have flown too high like Icarus. The lights brighten, the music dims, and thousands leave me alone in this vast ellipse of emptiness. My mother came down to London two years ago to look after me when I was seriously ill with hepatitis, and she said then that things didn't look right in the business. I just said they would get better. Even when I held my 10th anniversary fashion show in the Royal Albert Hall last year, I just hoped things would turn out all right. When you come from Aberdeenshire, the idea of debt is a big thing on your conscience. My family, who farm at New Pitsligo, have been hurt by it. I can be a real tough bastard when it comes to design, but in business I tend to be confused. It was never my forte. I was working around the clock on design, too busy doing my own thing to look at the business side. We were undercapitalized without enough money to do the things I wanted to do. All the time my success escalated at such a rate that the company, which had started out so small, was unable to maintain the commitments that the success had forced upon us. I was in some ways a victim of my own success and also very naive. 
I have produced glamorous and extravagant clothes, but it is not true that I have been extravagant in myself. The outside world thought I was rolling in money, but I was not. I attended London parties because I was on everybody's invitation list, but in the past few months I've been cutting that out. Personally, I have been knocked sideways by the whole experience. Absolutely shattered. I wouldn't go out. I've been crawling into my shell and wanting to disappear under the floorboards. Designing became impossible. Every day I knew I had to keep going back to that blank piece of paper without knowing what to put on it. And every day all I wanted to do was run away. But you can't just run away from life. I must stay and prove myself. I'm gathering my strength and momentum and I'm working better already. My work is better balanced, less fanciful, but still retaining a magic touch. I am a fatalist. I believe this has had to happen and that the knocks are sent to test us. I've learned some valuable lessons. Hyde Park Hotel, 12th of October, 1978. I haven't included the usual embellishments because I think people believe they're there to hide a designer's lack of shape and line. See-through taps and trousers and black and gold. Buckle-tie belts and crepe de chine. Knot overskirts at the waist and a rune and ankle. Exposed bare flesh and strapless jersey tops. Criss-cross. Here and air with slivers of material. Cut great slits in the sides of skirts. Wrap a silk choker round your neck. So this time, I didn't add anything too fantastic. It's all very 1979, without losing the Bill Gibb line. 1980. If I'd known when I came down from Scotland at 19 that the result of it would be people losing money... I would never have done it. My aim was simply to be a damn good designer and to try and make a mark on the world. (sighs) But when your head is down over the drawing board, you can be insufficiently aware of what's going on. I was woken with quite a jerk to see that all was not well. I'm a fatalist in some ways, but nobody likes losing money, and I don't like losing others' money on my behalf. I'm very doubtful as to what to do next. In fact, it's almost like I've crawled into a hole and you're having to try and prize me out. Success just escalated. I had a very fast rise, maybe too fast. Who the hell knows? Now it feels like I'm emerging from a nightmare. It goes round and round in your head. Was it my fault? What did I do wrong? Was I unlucky? Were they unlucky? My reaction, even my curiosity for months seemed numb. You can feel the moment you wake up that thought. God almighty, this happened. My attitude now is to hell with big business. I'm not geared for it. They were not the right people for me. They wanted a big killing in a short time with me to be an 
Yves Saint Laurent overnight. That's impossible in this country. Life has been a strange mixture of luck and disaster for me. In the midst of all this, I went to a medium and had my cards read. Apparently I'm going to die either in a public place or of a wasting disease in a public ward. <laughs> but the main thing is I am working again. I decided that there were two roads to take. Either I would get out of fashion altogether and concentrate on something like theatre or film design, or I would work on a much smaller scale and just plough my own furrow. I needed to work, not only because I didn't want to go on the dole, but I didn't want to be lost in a big company. So I just had to draw a deep breath and set about re-establishing a set of working relationships. This time it will be Bill Gibb alone, keeping it nice and tight. I hold the checkbook and I have just two people working for me, with no overheads because I'm operating from the flat. I do drawings here and the two ladies make the patterns and garments in their own homes. Now I pay as I go along and I'm happy to be dealing with it myself. I don't say I'm never going to make stupid mistakes, but at least this way I have a far better understanding of my business. People might ask why I didn't do all this before, but it seems that I had to go through disaster first in order to reach where I am now. In a lot of people's eyes, where I am now might be nowhere, but to me it's very important. I'm convincing myself that I'm terribly happy. 1985. I wasn't that happy the last five years, but I was working. Doing things for private clients, Harrods, the Middle East. Enough to live on. No real big problems. I probably wouldn't do this again if it wasn't for someone coming in and knocking on the door. After ten months' negotiation, I thought, if it's persistent, it must be meant to be. I wouldn't have been ready for it two, three one year ago, but I'm ready for it now. It's terrifying, Jeff. It's horrible. Anybody that's creative in any sphere is going to find that. It's laying your head on the block. One hurdle to do the show, another hurdle to do the selling. For my next collection, hopefully 45 outfits will be on show. It's going to be an all-night brigade. I'll be running around with coffees. I'm, I'm not very good with a needle. I've decided to get back to grassroots and get inspiration from basic sources. But it's also something to do with the kids in the street that makes it all real. They reflect much of the mood of the nation and how they dress with their leathers, hairstyles and makeup. It all has something of a barbaric quality. I always like clothes that look like they've been around for a long time. That they belong to you rather than you belong to them. Reality is so horrific these days that only escapism makes it bearable at times. So the more glamour the world can provide, the better people will like it. However fashion changes, glamour will never go out of vogue. The Apex Room, Olympia, 16th of March, 1985 Take me as your Bronze Age bride Share my dowry of beating gold 
Whisper to me in silver hues Unravel tangled scrolls of cord Shear my wool by the river Fox, glove me on the soft green ferns Cave paint me in deep burgundy Drink me in like liquid cork Patch me up with burnished leather Heal drunkenness with amethyst With a touch as rough as tree bark Let me soften your pewter heart Abandon long-held fantasies Awake to stark reality Now I am grey and dressed in lichen Bury me in clay and sleep beside me Nineteen eighty-eight, And finally, Bill Gibb, one of a group of talented clothes designers who made London the capital of fashion in the 1960s, died early yesterday. Mr Gibb, aged 44, had suffered from cancer for several months and was being treated at St Stephen's Hospital, West London. Until a month before his death, he was working on a knitwear collection and had recently designed a wedding dress for Lucy Dahl, daughter of the writer Rhode Dahl. Zandra Rhodes, the designer, said yesterday, his mix of fur, print and embroidery and his flowery knitted textures certainly influenced fashion in the 1970s. In any other country, Bill's talents would have won him more commercial success. Kate Franklin, a friend and business partner, said, he had a genius for making you see things in a new and original way. He was a unique person and he will leave a gap in the fashion world. He has been very brave through it all, and I'm glad he is out of pain. But his passing will leave a terrible gap. One will never forget Bill. You have been listening to episode three of the Bill Gibb Line, a limited series celebrating the life and work of fashion designer Bill Gibb, written and performed by Shane Strachan, with music by Ross White. This podcast was recorded at Rock Villa, the National Theatre of Scotland's headquarters in Glasgow, Scotland. With thanks to Bill Gibbs' family, the Scottish Book Trust Robert Louis Stevenson Fellowship, Look Again Aberdeen, Aberdeen Art Gallery, Fraserburgh Heritage Centre and Central St Martin's Collections and Archives. The poems performed in this episode were inspired by the following source texts. Scotch on the Frocks, written by Susie Menkes for her Fashion Plus column in the Evening Standard, on the 25th of March, 1977. The Fall and Rise of Bill Gibb, written by Leslie Ebbets for the Daily Mirror on the 12th of October, 1978. Back in the Bronze Age, written by Anne Chubb for the Daily Telegraph on the 10th of March, 1985. If you'd like to learn more about Bill Gibb, Christine Rue's Bill Gibb, The Golden Boy of British Fashion, and Ian R. Webb's Bill Gibb, Fashion and Fantasy, are two must-read books. Keep up to date with future developments of this project and my other creative work at shanestrachan.com. The Bill Gibb Line is sponsored by Finney's the Jeweller. An independent family-owned business established in 1957, Finney's continues to serve Aberdeen from its George Street location. <laughs>